Daniel chapter 3, we're going through the book of Daniel, and I love this journey through Daniel, by the way. It was a lot more supernatural than I had thought, and all the Bible's milk and all the Bible's meat. In other words, you know, like uh, David and Goliath might seem like it's relegated to a Sunday school class for little kids and a flannel graph, uh, but there's a lot of meat in in those events. I like to call them events rather than stories. Um, But today we're going to be in a familiar section of the Bible where Daniel and the three Hebrew children are threatened by way of fire, the fiery furnace, if they don't worship the gods, plural, of Babylon, the gods of Nebuchadnezzar, and fall down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar made, which last week I was kind of describing the dimensions. It was 90 feet tall and 10 feet wide. And so when the music played, it's funny, we just, when the music played, (laughs) Uh, but we worship God, you know, and that's so interesting, the contrast throughout the ages. Are you going to worship lesser gods, idols? or the God of gods, and we're going to be talking about that uh, today. I do want to bring this up before we get started, and I was waiting for all that to come up, but um, uh, Debbie and her family, praise the Lord, we, we were able to lay hands on them and pray for them a, a few weeks ago, and then God opened the door, and now they had keys to a door, they got a house. This is like a country western song. In reverse, like you know back masking where you play it in reverse. They, <laughs> they get their car back that was stolen. They get their uh, house that they weren't able to get. You know, and they even got their clothes back that they washed that was in the car that was stolen. And so um, they got a lot of things back. So I was just thinking like, yeah, I got my dog back, my pickup truck, my shotgun, that was my old granddaddy. Anyways, so praise the Lord for that. But they still need help, and I sent out a text, and thank you gentlemen for chiming in uh, to the people with uh, woodworking skills or skills to help build a ramp. And so there's a, there's a lot of eyes on this project, and so we're thinking about that. And for those of you that said that you wanted to go to their house after church today and kind of maybe measure it or look, and from the picture, it's just a gradual two-step, and they seem like they're pretty small, smallly elevated, um, I think I think we're going to come up with a solution for a ramp um, for for Debbie because, uh, as you know, she's in a wheelchair, and so they need to roll her up into the house or be able to have access to that. So thank you, gentlemen, for helping out with that. All right, Daniel chapter three, starting in verse number eight. Daniel chapter three, in verse eight. Therefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward. Uh, and maliciously accused the Jews, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. This is the highest praise you could give someone, by the way. They didn't, they didn't actually believe that he would live forever, but it was, a, it was a term of endearment. It was like the highest accolade you could give a potentate or a leader. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears, and woman, the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, um, the trison, the harp, the bloody bagpipe. I don't know what kind of instrument that was. <laughs> and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, that 90-foot-tall structure that he set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship 
shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And here's these narcs, right? Snitches get stitches. There are certain Jews whom you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, and do you think kind of they're a little bit jealous? Now, keep in mind, when King Nebuchadnezzar took siege over Jerusalem, which was the superpower under the reign of King Solomon, and remember, all the kings and queens came, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and he built an empire and a kingdom, although he didn't rule um, malevolently as, say, a Nebuchadnezzar was. But their reign ended when Nebuchadnezzar came knocking on Jerusalem's fortified megalithic walls. And finally, after three different attempts and three different military campaigns, finally was to able to penetrate the city. They took over and conquered Jerusalem, thus the capital city, Israel, they, where the temple of God was, they took the, the articles uh, that were in the temple that they worshiped God, like the, you know, the tabernacle, the golden lampstand, and all the other different articles that were in there, and they took them to their houses of gods, demonstrating that your God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is not even powerful more than our gods, plural, polytheistically. And so... Nebuchadnezzar was able to lay siege and take over uh, Jerusalem. So when he did, he took, he would, it was kind of customary to take uh, uh, young people of royalty and take them and train them. And so he took Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, and he put them for two to three years in the school. We read that in chapter one of Daniel and kind of deprogrammed them out of the ways of the Jewish mindset and the monotheistic mindset and trained him in his mystery schools, which would have been, he would have been teaching them uh, about their gods, about their occult rituals, about their sacrifices, about their false worship, about their praise. And remember, in, this, in these schools were magicians, wizards, necromancers. Uh, so Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were raised to believe in the God of Israel, the one true and living God, are now being deprogrammed into the school of Babylon, these mystery schools, where all of these, uh, just think of like uh, Aleister Crowley. Okay, are you with me now? Anton LaVey, the high priest of the Church of Satan. Think about it like that. He was trained, Daniel and his three Hebrew children were trained in the occult. And remember, the occult and all of their wisdom and all of their demonic knowledge could not do what Daniel was able to do, which was to interpret the, the king's dream. But now we find ourselves where the king, he has spiritual amnesia for some reason, and he's getting lifted up in pride, and he wants everyone to worship him which is, he's an archetype of the Antichrist that will come, by the way, who will demand everyone worship him as God. So this music plays, and these guys, oh, and the, here's what I was going with that. So these guys that are ratting out and they're narking out Daniel and the three other Hebrew children, because when they were able to interpret the king's dreams, and the member, they stood up for the, all of these guys in the occult, because Nebuchadnezzar said, listen, 
if you guys can't interpret my dream and tell me what's up, and remember, he put them on, on, on um, he put it so, he wasn't going to tell the dream and then you tell me kind of some sort of version of it that I want to hear. He said, no, you actually have to tell me what I dreamt. In other words, read my mind. And then I'll know that you're not full of it. You know what I mean, right? No one could do it. Daniel was able to do it. And Daniel said, hey, listen, I know you're going to kill all the, all the people on your payroll that are trained in the occult. If I could interpret this dream for you, will you save their life? And the king said, yes. And so Daniel interpreted the king's dream. He read his mind, but he said, it's not me. It's, it's God who's able to do that. No one could read your mind, which we learned something here. No one could read your mind except God, not the devil, not the demons. Because they had access to all the fallen angel technology, and they couldn't read the king's mind. So Daniel said, I know someone who can, and his name is God. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. And so Daniel not only saved the life of all these occult people, which is a picture kind of of God's grace and mercy. They didn't deserve it, yet he said, I'll stand in the gap for you guys. But now these same people uh, are going to throw him under the bus. And I think the reason why is because Nebuchadnezzar said, you guys, can I just say this in church? You guys suck. <laughs> but Daniel, his God, he's the real God. And so he elevated Daniel and he made him captain over all of the occult. Isn't that amazing? And so all these lesser gods will now submit to Daniel who believed in the one true God and he knew all that they believed because he was taught for three years in their school. He's like, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, I, get, I, I understand you guys worship Lucifer and the fallen gods and all that kind of... Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but I'm still going to go with God. And so... He was elevated, and so now these guys, you could kind of see, and you can see this in church too sometimes, where people, you know, they, they get their worth and value out of their position in church rather than their position in Christ. And so they were kind of jealous of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So with that as the backdrop, let's keep reading on. There are certain Jews who you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, is verse 13, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And I kind of commend Nebuchadnezzar for this. He doesn't just hear their words and say, like, go kill him. He's like, bring him to me because I want to hear. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is this true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? or worship the golden image that I've set up. Now that you are ready, uh, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Look And listen to what he says. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You could see the pride and the arrogance swelling up. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 14, where the Lucifer said in his heart, I will be like God. I will send my throne above God. I will ascend into the mount of God. He said it five times. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will be like God. And the temptation to be like God, even for an angel that's created like Lucifer, the devil, 
is that when you're the God of gods, you answer to no one. All the gods, angels, demons, good angels, bad angels, no one, they have free will, but they all, at the end of it all, are answerable to God. Only God answers to no one, and that's the, the highest temptation you could succumb to is the throne room of self. I think that's why the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, because it's not money that's evil. It's the idea that if I get enough money, I could kind of call my own shots and be my own God. It's this temptation to be absolutely independent and autonomous, answerable to no one, because God makes all of the decisions and he answers to no one. He has all power, and that's tempting. And so Nebuchadnezzar is kind of getting this sort of, this like Luciferian pride swelling up within him. And so he goes on to say, uh, if you don't do this, what, what's the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we already, we already thought this through. We already pre-believed. We already had these convictions well before we got here. And he says, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What? Could you imagine predetermining in your heart? This is an outcome-based Christianity or circumstantial Christianity. And they're not putting God... You know, where he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's not, he's not putting the name of... They're not putting the name of God at stake and saying, God will deliver us and, uh, and you will worship him because you'll see. They're not saying that. They're saying... If God delivers us, amen. If he delivers us not, amen. My aunt always says it's only Christian in, our, in my family until recently. Uh, but she said, if um, God answers your prayer, amen is the best thing for you. If God doesn't answer your prayer, amen, it was the best thing for you. I was so confused by that for so long, but now it makes sense. So these three Hebrew children are saying they're not putting God's character on the line and they're not being pragmatic they're just saying, if God delivers us, that's his will. We're surrendered to it. If God does not deliver, it, deliver us, oh, what, you're scaring me with heaven and I get to go home to be with God in heaven? They're like, it's a win-win. <laughs> it's like Paul, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so they're in this sort of the quandary here, and that's where we're at. And so let's pray, and then we'll look at uh, just these verses briefly and i'll give you a little bit of background about what's going on and the title of the message i put polytheistic defiance but that sounds a little technical and i re i renamed it to the gods must be crazy jesus i just pray that you'd guide us by your spirit the father would be glorified in this preserved inspired word thousands of years old that we could learn from it here today from these real live events that took place in a real-life city with real-life people that had real-life faith and help us to learn and be encouraged by these examples that you preserved all these centuries and centuries and centuries. So I thank you that we could gather in this building and uh, as a church, um, just look to you 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the gods must be crazy. It is a movie. What's that guy's name? Blazing Saddles dude, right? Um, so, King Nebuchadnezzar must have had spiritual amnesia because when all of the occult leaders, the necromancers, the wizards, the warlocks, the astronomers, the magicians could not tell the king's dream, they deferred to Daniel and to Daniel's God who could and did. Recall this passage. Look at Daniel. If we go back, it'll be on the screen. After Daniel did answer, the king was so taken back. He said, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then he promotes Daniel, Shadrach, and he says, by the way, all the other gods are inferior to Daniel's God. It's not as though... Nebuchadnezzar became monotheistic, and we'll explore that here in a little bit. He still retained a polytheistic sort of belief system, but he just thought, this is the difference between preeminence and prominent. He thought Daniel's God was prominent, like, like one of the top dogs, but he didn't think he was preeminent, the only one. It'd be like me saying to my wife, babe, you're, you're prominent, you're like one amongst many. <laughs> You know, you're up there, definitely in the top three. But if you say to your wife, um, you're preeminent, you're saying you're the only one, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar had that, well, prominent? Yeah, Daniel's God is prominent. He's, he's up there, but he's not preeminent as the one and only. And so um, let's look at this idea then, polytheism. Go to the next slide. Polytheism. Have you guys heard of that phrase before? You're going to learn some theology. I'm going to take down a history lane today. Polytheism. Poly. Polygamous. Polyamorous. Polyester. Polytheism. What does this mean? Go to the next slide. It's the doctrine of or belief in a plurality of gods. The worship and dedication to multiple gods or the multiplicity of deities. It's the antithesis of monotheism. What do you think mono means? If you ride the monorail in, in uh, Disneyland, it has one rail, right? Mononucleosis. <laughs> uh, it's the belief of one supreme God, the uncreated creator of all things. So that's what polytheism is. So if you think about polytheistic defiance, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Nebuchadnezzar is like, okay, you guys hear my band? You hear my orchestra? You hear my, when Nirvana gets up and plays We Got Teen Spirit, you better fall down and worship my idol. And when they didn't do that, he was mad. And he said, you're not only rejecting my, me as a king, you're denying my gods, plural, because he was polytheistic. He believed in a multiplicity or a plurality uh, of gods. So let's go to the next slide. Who were the gods of Babylon? The gods of Babylon. Marduk, there's a kind of an inscription of him off to the left, is considered to be the primary deity of uh, Babylonia, 
and one of the most central figures in the Mesopotamian religion and the early stages of this cult, Marduk. Is that a dog in a, in a cartoon? Oh, Marmaduke, okay. <laughs> he is uh, in the early days of Marduk's career as a, as a god, who's viewed as the god of thunderstorms. Bel, B-E-L, was a beloved Babylonian god worshipped and associated with destiny and order. Sin, I think that's interesting. It's the god of sin. Another Babylonian god was represented by a crescent moon. You know of another religion that has their god attached to a crescent moon? And you'll see that Allah, by the way, of Islam, um, Allah is the crescent moon god, if, just so you know. Don't be confused. Right? <laughs> don't be confused. They don't translate Allah to God. Allah is a proper noun describing crescent moon god in Arabic. Okay. But go to the next slide. So I'm just kind of going through these. Ningal was an ancient Sumerian goddess of reeds. Can you imagine being the goddess of reeds? Ningal's name means queen or the great lady. She was the daughter of Enki and Ninhursag. Uta, another god, is an ancient sun deity of Mesopotamia, but in Babylon, also known as Shamash, and uh, associated with truth, justice, and morality. Enli, a lesser god, was also worshipped by the Akkadians, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. Enli fell into oblivion when the Babylonians declared him not to be the chief god and proclaiming Marduk, or Marmaduke, no, I'm kidding, as the national uh, protector. Still, Babylonian kings of the early periods of the empire were known to go to the holy city of Nippur to ask of Enli's recognition and approval. Go to the next one. Ainana, a Babylonian goddess. You'll see like the feminine and masculine interchanging here as well. Uh, also known as Ishtar, uh, is an ancient Sumerian goddess of war, sex, and fertility. Anu is the god of ancestry, uh, was a divine personification of the sky. Being an ancient supreme god, he was considered by many cultures in Mesopotamia, which is that whole Babylonian region, to be the ancestor of all people. Apsu was considered to be the god of water, a primordial ocean that encircled the earth. And you'll, we're going to see this later on, and I don't want to make a big deal of this, but these gods are just recycled. Who, who do you know that's the most famous, besides Aquaman, which is just a ripoff, by the way, of who in the Greek pantheon of gods was the god of water? He had a trident. Neptune and Poseidon, yeah. One was Greek, one was Roman. Yeah. So, <clears throat> go to the next slide. Enki, also one of the main gods of the Sumerian religion, who's also known as A in ancient Babylon. Uh, Enki was the god of magic, creation, crafts, and mischief. Dumazid or Tammuz. Who remembers Tammuz from the Bible? If you go way back to Genesis chapter 10 and 11, where the Tower of Babel was erected by Nimrod, right, this is after the flood, and Nimrod was an archetype of Nebuchadnezzar, who's an archetype of the Antichrist. Remember, Nimrod gathered all the people, lest we be scattered, let's build a tower up into heaven, let's work our way into heaven, let's be our own God, and um, so on and so forth. But he married Semiramis, 
and they had a son named Tammuz, and they kind of formed this sort of trinity, so to speak. But they worshipped uh, Semiramis as the queen of heaven, but, but also the, the women of Israel, as God shows Ezekiel a vision, he goes, come here, I want to show you what's going on. And so Ezekiel follows God's instruction, and he pulls back a curtain, metaphorically speaking, in this vision, and he sees women, God shows Ezekiel, women baking cakes to the, the, the mother goddess, the queen of heaven, but weeping, the Bible says, for Tammuz. So even, even the Jews were infected by these uh, polytheistic gods. Uh, Gistana was an ancient goddess of the Sumerians and Babylonians associated with fertility, agriculture, and the interpretation of dreams. And it's like, Nebuchadnezzar, dude, King Nebi, why don't you, you know, why do you need Daniel and his god if you've got Gishtahana or whatever that thing's name is? Go to the next one. Uh, Ninartu was an ancient Sumerian Babylonian Akkadian god of war. Ninharsag was an ancient goddess deity uh, in the Mesopotamian pantheon, described as the mother of gods and of men and worshipped by the Babylonians as the deity of nurture and fertility. Nargal was another ancient god of agriculture uh, known in Babylon around the 2900 before Christ. Go to the next one. This will be the last one. Nabu is the old Babylonian god of wisdom, writing, learning, and prophecies. He's also the maintainer of divine knowledge and records in the library of gods. Ooh, sounds like artificial intelligence and supercomputing. Arishkagal was an ancient goddess and ruled the underworld. Her name is translated Queen of the Night. Uh, Tiamat is a primordial goddess of chaos and is mentioned in several Babylonian works. And Nisaba is often compared to Nabu, which is interesting because of the, of the Mormons, their planet Nabu. But anyways, uh, she was an ancient goddess deity associated with the accounting, writing, and being the scribe of the gods. So it's probably not all of them, but even the ones that we covered. When Nebuchadnezzar says, you don't worship my gods, this is what he's referring to. This plurality of gods, and they have gods for this and gods for that, and some are more, more prominent than others, but they don't have the preeminent view of the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He did, and then he slowly drifted away, and his heart got lifted up with pride. So to summarize all of this, the Babylonian Empire was one of the most powerful states in the ancient world, and the city of Babylon became a center of the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian civilization. While the religion was largely influenced by the Sumerian religion, with many Babylonian deities simply borrowed wholesale from the Sumerians, uh, their main deity and national god was the god, false god of Marduk, and distinctly Mesopotamian. Along with Marduk, the Babylonian pantheon, meaning the, the collection of gods, is made up of numerous deities, with many playing critical roles in the lives of the Babylonians. You're like, I could care less, Neil, that was so many thousands of years ago. 
get to the point, dude. What's up? What are we on History Channel week? You know? And you know what's interesting is that all this stuff can be verified. I mean, all the stuff on the side that I put, those pictures, I curated those specifically because those are all Babylonian gods that, we, that are in museums and stuff. So moving along, though, with, so with that background and backdrop into the pantheon, pantheon of Babylonian gods, you can see why Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship these lesser gods. Can you imagine like a good Hebrew Jewish young man saying, yeah, I'll worship the goddess of sex? Could you imagine how contrary that would be? You know, Eros is one of the gods. Aphrodite is one of the gods. And it's the recycled gods. Uh, Cupid, same thing. And these are all like erotic, um, fornicating sex-driven gods and goddesses. And could you imagine a Hebrew who was not only monotheistic, but not, poly not polygamous or polyamorous like all the other cultures, but they were, um, what's it called when you're married to one husband and one wife? Sorry about that. Monogamous, thank you. Mono, there's the word again. One husband, one wife. Could you imagine them just compromising all that they knew to be true from God? And to just say, yeah, you're right, I'll just, you know, for fear of getting burned and becoming a barbecue, <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and worship your gods. Here's something interesting. It shouldn't be cut you off guard. Does anyone know the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20 when God gave the Ten Commandments? What's the very first commandment? Go to the next slide. You shall have no other gods before me. Number one on the, on the top ten list. Number one hit, top ten list. You shall have no other gods before me. So the Hebrew young men knew the one true God. They knew the commands of God. They knew the Old Testament. They knew what God told uh, Moses on Mount Sinai. They had it written in stone. In fact, the Ten Commandments were inside the, um, the, the, the temple, which was in the Ark of the Covenant, where God, where God told them, put the Ten Commandments in there. They had the original ones written by God, or however that was transcribed with Moses on Mount Sinai, in there. And if you were to hold those you know, things up, which they, of course, they wrote them down on, on um, papyri and different animal skins to preserve them in rolled scrolls. But if you were to roll out a scroll, go to Exodus chapter 20, also... Deuteronomy 5 is also the Ten Commandments listed. Those two places, they're listed in order. The very first one, you shall not have any other gods before me. So they knew that. They also knew Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 31. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. They even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. What kind of gods make you burn your children or sacrifice them? What's with the bloodlust of why do, why do these gods always require, they'll give you something, but in exchange, they want something from you. And why does it always lead to like human sacrifice? You ever thought about that? The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded and said, you shall not fear other gods. 
or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them. Why is God so emphatic about, number one commandment, no other gods? Don't worship like them. Don't acknowledge them. Don't, you know, don't go down that path. Why is God so emphatic about this? It's because God knows that these are lesser gods, also known as fallen angels and demons who deceive. I think where we get confused is we see like these, old, these little statues and we're like, that's so lame. These guys were so dumb. They thought that little statue, and like, did you see the one that was rotted and didn't have hands? And, and often God calls them out. You have, you made these idols. They have eyes, but they see not. Mouths, but they speak not. They have hands, but they, they can't handle. And he says, those that make them are like unto them. So there is some sort of inanimate connection to a, like a, a statue made of gold or wood or uh, some sort of, you know, properties or elements of the earth. But these guys didn't believe just that the, the, the little tiny idol had the power. It was the demon behind the idol that had the power that they knew. So if you went to Babylon and you're like, oh, you kicked over their statues and you jumped on them and you got rid of them, they're like, cool, we'll just build another one. Because it's the demon behind it or the fallen angel. They called them gods and we get, we get confused. We're like, what? Gods? What do, they, what do they mean, gods? But God knew about gods. And I know you're getting confused already. You're like, wait a second, there's only one God. There is only one God. He's the only one that's uncreated. He's the only one that created everything. And he's the only one that answers to no one. He is the one true and living God. These other lesser gods that these cultures ended up serving... They did get things from them. They did get results. In exchange, they had to sacrifice their kids, and they had to sacrifice humans to get them. But they're demons. They're fallen angels. Don't just think they're dumb little statues, and that's it. That's where this is end of story. Like, even go back to Pharaoh um, and all of their gods, the, the gods of Egypt, which were just recycled into Babylon. Uh, you know, their magicians threw down their staffs, and they turned into snakes also. You think it's like a statue is going to give them supernatural power like that? So don't be fooled into thinking like they're so antiquated and we've got smartphones. They had dumb phones. You know? <laughs> they didn't even have phones. They had dumb idols. And don't, don't be fooled. There's been an active background. There's been an active operating system that we don't see that's been on the, the, the human assault for since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden. For example, go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, gods. This one, these are just different ranks. And that's why the, their gods had different ranks, because they had different abilities. There's cherubim, there's seraphim, there's archangels. There's different classifications of angels. A third of them left, and a third of them rebelled, because God says, I'm going to make you in my image angels, and part of my image is that you'll have free will limited albeit and that third of them chose not to be with god they ended up here and they ended up deceiving kings and princes and rulers and people 
and they ended up worshiping them, this, these lesser gods. Like, look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The Bible says, calls Lucifer the god of this world. Why would the Bible call him a, a lesser god? The god of this world. Blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. So, when Nebuchadnezzar said, everyone must worship my gods, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, uh, Hades, no. We're not doing that. So there's always been a battle of the ages uh, who men and women will worship. Who will they give their allegiance to? Lucifer, the dragon, the serpent, the devil, is the little god of this age. He's just a little god. He was a created, you could read about him in uh, Ezekiel 28. It talks about his, like, his biography a little bit. How he was so beautiful and majestic and he's the anointed cherub and you know, he walked amongst the garden of God and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then pride would lift it up in his heart. And then, you know, he wanted to be God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to call his own shots. And then he deceived a third of the angels and they went with him. And where did they show up? It's the God of this world. So when you read about people worshiping gods, little g, lesser gods, don't, don't think that these gods are in competition with the God of the Bible. They're not. They're not at all. In fact, God, remember when Jesus shows up, they're like, oh, Jesus, it's not our time yet. That's, that's the response of the lesser gods. They're like, no, no, we know who you are. Don't cast us into the, it's not our time yet. And Jesus is like, okay, go into the pigs. So let's look at some, let's go to the next slide. So if you were, if you were to do a word search, um, gods with little g, uses the same word Elohim. It's found 250 times in the Bible, 253 times. That's the plural. God, singular, little g, is found 91 times. Goddess is found four times. But the word Elohim, used of the God of, God of gods, Lord of lords, it appears 200, or 2,605 times. And so I did that search, and then I screenshotted my results, and then I made that slide. So you could do the same. It's not, it's not rocket surgery. So go to the next slide. Here's what the word Elohim means. So the Bible defines God from Elohim, but also he uses the same word for superhuman beings, supernatural beings, gods and angels, judges, rulers, gods of nations, Rulers, judges, divine ones, angels, it appears 104 times using that word Elohim. Gods, God, goddess, godlike, works of special possessions of God. It's like I said a few weeks ago, um, not, all, not all automobiles are Teslas, but all Teslas are automobiles. Not all, <laughs> you're going to hate this, but um, all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. So, the word Elohim, generally translated, means God, gods, goddesses. But not all gods and goddesses are God. Only God is God. Let's look at this from the Bible's perspective. Let's go, let's go through this, where you'll see the, the, word, the, the same word in the same passage. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders? Exodus 18, 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they have dealt arrogantly with the people. 
Next slide. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, 1 Chronicles 16.25, and he is to be feared above all gods. 2 Chronicles 2.5, the house that I am to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. There is none like you, Psalm 86.8, among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours, Psalm 95.3. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. Psalm 96.4, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 97.9, For you, O Lord, are the Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Psalm 135.5. Psalm 136.2, Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. So to wrap this up a little bit, we must make a choice just as Daniel did and just as Joshua did. By your evidence of sitting here in church, it's obvious the choice and the allegiance you've made. But keep in mind, Israel was surrounded by the plurality, the polytheistic gods of Egypt. God did a showdown with Pharaoh, who thought he was God, and they did ten plagues. The last of which was, God said, I'll take your firstborn if you don't put the blood on the post. And I think this was the ultimate showdown, because God says, my firstborn will die and I'll raise him from the dead. Pharaoh, you say that you're God, let's see if you could raise your firstborn, your only begotten from the dead. So God has, a, God has a showdown with the gods. Not only Pharaoh saying he's God, but the gods of Egypt. And God, he knows them. He created them. He knows them all by name. And they rebelled. They chose willingly to leave and like deceive the world and mess with people. And God's like, okay, let's have a showdown. And so he, he does the 10th and final plague and Pharaoh's like, okay, get out of here. And so Israel leaves. They come to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh has a change of mind. Like, arrogant dictators do and you know absolute authority corrupts absolutely and so he's like ah let's go kill him i said they could go but indian giver you know he goes out to get him and then moses is like okay great now we don't have any weapons it's the mightiest military on the earth at the time except when babylon shows up later um and then, then he says, stand, see, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God parts the Red Sea, because he's, the, talk about Poseidon, he's just like a lesser God, and it, what, he could maybe disturb a wave here and there, I don't know what he could do. But God, God parts the Red Sea, they go through on dry ground, um, they cross over, and then Egypt and their pride under Pharaoh goes through, and then God just shuts the, shuts the sea, and they, they all die. Well, they get to the other side, uh, and then they wander for 40 years. And then they start to murmur and complain. Man, what, did, what are we doing out here? Moses is an idiot. Aaron is what, whatever. He tricked us. We had that really cool party. And, <laughs> you know, where he was like a kind of the cool guy. And now he's not. He's all with Moses. And ah, it just, just stinks in the desert. It's hot out here. Our birds' heads are falling off. It just sucks. And so they're out in the wilderness. They're murmuring and complaining. And then remember the final straw. 
was um, God says, I told you you guys could have this land. Go over, check it out. Twelve spies, one from each tribe, they go over, they come back, they bring the grapes. Remember the big grapes of escrow, and they're huge, and they got them on poles, they're so big. And they're like, it is truly what God said. It's lush, it's plush, and I've been over there. You could go to the desert side. You, if you went to, did you go to Amman or Jordan, or did you cross over? But anyways, it goes from really, and Israel's not as lush as it used to be, but it is a definite desert difference between Israel, which is on the, by the coast, the Mediterranean, and you start going further uh, east, and it gets really dry, really arid, really fast. So God said, and they come back and they said, yeah, it's lush, it's everything. There's fields, there's wells, there's, it's like, it's plenteous. It's the land of milk and honey. Just one problem, there's giants. You guys remember the giants? You still believe the Bible? Okay. There was literal giants. I mean, we're talking 12 to 17 footers. And their body mass ratio was 2 to 1, so they were really, they were really wide. They were husky. They were stout. <laughs> when they measured the bed of Og, King Og, he was, had to have been at least 18 feet tall. And they preserved his bed for a while, and it was made of iron because to support the weight of an 18-foot tall king. So if I'm one of the spies and I'm seeing one of those guys, and you're like, yeah, but God said go in and take it. And you're like, yeah, but... These dudes are huge. You ever play on a sporting team and you're like, your little Bad News Bear team shows up and you're like, what is everyone, <laughs> you're like 12 or 13, did they get all these guys from prison and they're like 30? When you're like young and you face a team that's way bigger than you, this is like triple that. You know? And so they come back pragmatically and said it can't be done and they went from faith to flesh. And God said, I got this covered, just go in and take it by faith. And they're like, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. Joshua was, him and Caleb were the only two of the twelve that came back and said, we can take it. Yeah, there's giants, but God is for us. So, my last verse is this one. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, back in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites, and all their, their wilderness wanderings, that area, and in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So yeah, there's other gods. They're lesser. They're inferior. They're fallen angels. You get you could get stuff from them. Ouija boards work. You could do it. But there's going to be a cost because these lesser gods, these fallen angels, will make you go further than you wanted to go, and they'll make you pay way more than you wanted to pay, and they'll deceive you. You're not going to be the first one to pull it off. So... Joshua just said immediately, nope, no to the gods, yes to the Lord, because he's the God of gods. I was going to continue on, but I just, I'm just going to wrap it up here. Um, but go to the next slide, if you will. 
Because I want to make this point about recycled gods, and then I'll just I'm be done. We're not going to look at any more Bible verses or turn anymore. But I just want to show you this. So go to the, the vision that Daniel interpreted. So in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and all of his occult people couldn't, even though the, one of their gods was the god of dreams, you're like, okay. Let me get out of your picture, Martha. Sneaky one. So he has this dream. He doesn't tell anyone. Daniel says, I, I, I'll read your mind, but it's not me. It's God will have to do it and then give me the information. You're the head. You're gold. You're, you're the bee's knees. You're the top dog. You're, you're, you're it. Lent to his pride, by the way. Um, the breast and the arms, it's the Medes and the Persians. The statue should have been more like this rather than like this because it shows that there's two empires in order to beat Babylon. They had to combine forces, and they just did it by numbers. It wasn't like they were better, but Daniel said, hey, there's going to be two kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians, and they're going to come together. If you've ever seen 300, you can see kind of the Persian influence there uh, and they, they, when they fought Greece. And then that's the middle section, Alexander the Great, real people, real history. Um, and then also you get another division here. But this is not just two kingdoms. The legs represent an east and a west. And if you think about China, Asia, all the cultures in the east, and then you think about Europe, all the cultures in the west, America, uh, Canada. Canada. Aren't those Russians pretending to be Americans, those sneaky dogs? No, I'm kidding. I have Canadian friends. I love them. Eh? Um, but you have the separation of East and West. In the, the, so you have the, the Greeks and then the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, evidently, has, it was it kind of imploded from within. No one took it over. No one conquered Rome. And it's still kind of lingering. And when we get to this portion of talking about the toes, the ten kingdoms, or the ten kings that come down to seven, that go down to three, that go down to one, the Antichrist. It comes from these, this east and west, but this this Rome, this like revived Roman Empire uh, that will be remanifested. But the reason why I bring this thing up again for reference is this represents the times of the Gentiles. Ever since Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem. There's never been a, a king on the throne of Israel ever since then. The next king that will come and establish the, right, the rightful legal right to rule will be King Jesus when he comes back uh, at the second coming. And he's the stone, not carved with hands, that hits the bottom of the feet, as we, it's not here, but we read that before, hits the feet, takes out the feet, and the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled and then Jesus mounts the throne. The reason why I bring this up again, all of these cultures, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, all of them were polytheistic, they were anti-monotheistic, and they defied and ignored and rejected the God of the Bible. And to Brian's point earlier when he was talking about one of the gods. Go to the next slide. And this will be the last one. We'll end here. So, 
when Paul shows up and he's preaching the gospel and he, um, he, he's preaching and going all over, he's running into Romans and he's also running into Greeks. Remember, the Greeks were conquered by Rome, but they were still kind of like spread out. That's what we call the Hellenistic period. Uh, they were still kind of spread out. But I just want to point out a, a couple of these. Zeus was the Greek god. He was like the chief god of the Greeks. Well, when you hear Jupiter, not the planet, the god, that's the Romans' version of the same god. Poseidon was Neptune. Um, and you could go through this list. It's very easy to do. Um, so you could see they're just recycled gods. That's all that's going on. Why? Because the deities behind them, they, they don't, you know, the Bible even says it's no marvel Satan himself transforms as an angel of light. And it says it's no wonder this is in, what, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that his ministers also are transformed into angels of light also. And so they come, and they might come as benevolent. Uh, they could take all, all shapes and sizes. But Paul had to deal with this, and the early church, and all the apostles, this sort of polytheistic idea of gods. So when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we're not going to serve your gods, God may deliver us, and he may not, but we're not giving in. We're not, we're not going to bow down and worship your gods. They had that figured out ahead of time. They weren't deciding at, you know, they weren't feeling the heat of the fire and then making that decision. They already had that decision down. So hopefully we as a church could have that decision already down. I want to leave you with just these thoughts, and we'll close in a word of prayer. Go to the last slide where it's table talk. How can we as a church impact our community for the cause of Christ and share the love of God? Just ponder that today as you go out and eat lunch or drive home or whatever. What comes into your thoughts and mind when you think about the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings? What do you think about? What's your thought? It's the most important thought you could have. How does knowing that we know the God of gods change the way we think, live, and function. Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Jesus, we know that you came as God in the flesh, and you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You lived a perfectly sinless life. You died for our sins. You were buried, and then you rose again from the dead on the third day, proclaiming, that you, you have victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. You promise to any and all who call upon you that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and be joined unto you for time and eternity. Receive this free gift of eternal life. I pray if there's someone here that's never received that gift, that today would be the day where they receive this gift and be connected to the one true and living God. And Lord, for all of us that already know all this, I pray that as your ambassadors, we would truly have an impact on the community as the God of this world is blinding minds. They're blinding the God of this world and the lesser gods are deceiving people 
into not accepting the free gift and the message of the good news of the gospel. May we be faithful, loyal, um, committed ambassadors to share your good news. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.